Hello, my friends, and welcome back. Hey, we're going to get into something exceptionally interesting tonight. Very deep, and um, may answer a lot of questions about the state of the world, the state of human society right now, as well as your personal interstate. Interstate, something we should all journey down. Because that is the final frontier, coming from one Trek fan to perhaps another inner space. <laughs> and so what we're going to talk about tonight is all of it, and how it is actually all encompassed in the one. Oneness. What is this oneness? And how does it pertain? How do we know it? How do we experience it? This is going to be quite a while, so sit back, relax. Try, if you can, to not even think or contemplate what I'm saying as I'm saying it, but just take it in. Because in time to come, it may explain a lot. Very simply. From a universal perspective. Try to remember, this isn't Steve, a human being, being exceptionally clever or having certain insights. Being a voice without any ego itself in the moment. The bigger picture and the inner picture is simply more easily felt and more easily seen. And this is what I've come up with as that conduit so far. Oneness. Let's talk about the expanse of oneness. Let's talk about the entire freaking universe, if we can know such a thing. Imagine for a moment that we could be outside of whatever the universe is. I won't even say the known universe because we don't even know if there is an end to it. Perhaps it doesn't matter. But let's uh, imagine for a moment we're outside of it and we're looking and we can say definitively there's the universe. It is one thing. There it is. It's bound. Everything that's within it is within it. And it, although there are individual components, it's one. There it is. Now, I don't subscribe to any particular theory of evolution of the universe. As I've described before, I don't think these things matter all that much. They're interesting, perhaps, to our mind. They have some scientific correlations with laws of physics and things like that. Fine and dandy, but we don't have to know it. In fact, we barely have to know anything in order to feel and experience being alive. But in contemplating that and reading various theories, I'd like to draw us back to a starting point, if it's possible, of what they say our universe or our portion of the universe was at one point in time, and that is a very condensed sphere of energy. Whether it was round or not is indifferent, but a thing existing in space in which everything that we currently think we know and see in the universe, matter, planets, suns, stars, galaxies, and the space between, was condensed. And it was all just energy right there in one place. Very dense, very tight-packed, very close together, which means very intimate, very one it would have been one thing. And everything within that thing would have been very closely connected to everything else. And that is the beginning of one sense of oneness. Now I'm going to keep going along that tangent and imagine that this thing, as we've been told, perhaps reached a breaking point of inner density, and had to expand. Had to expand. And of course we call that the Big Bang in, in that theory. And in that expansion, everything that was in there, all the energy, all the particles, whatever they were, expanded out extremely quickly, which means it expanded into something. And as it expanded, it stretched. Meaning that one, as it grew, was still one. 
but there was space between. Space between isn't empty. There can't all of a sudden be inserted nothing in between two particles of what were something. So the connection's still there. Everything is connected. It's just different. It's changed. Perhaps the feeling of that connection is already dissipating. Now let's really fast forward without getting mired in the details, because I want this to be very simple, a very simple overview and extrapolation of oneness. So as the, um, the particles expand, they start to slow in their expansion. And in slowing, things change. Temperatures change, molecules change. Molecules start to form into perhaps atoms, electrons, photons, particles of matter, small particles of matter, and then unto themselves, they develop properties. And these properties allow them to engage with each other in different ways. And fast forward a little bit more, all of a sudden we've got the known universe with galaxies and solar systems, stars, planets, a whole bunch of things matter. Now, within that entire one space of the universe, the amount of matter is still exceedingly small, but it's real and it's there and it's important and it matters. But what's in that space between? The connection, the connecting point. The same energy and consciousness that was there from the beginning couldn't have been lost. It couldn't have disappeared. It has just changed. And I'm convinced it's the consciousness of the universe. That is the connective tissue of the universe, is everything that is in the space between, as much as the material objects are holding themselves accountable and in place, just as much as that, without the space between, there'd be nothing for them to be accountable in. And so let's fast forward again to our universe. Sorry, our solar system. And here we are. A lot of time has gone by. That energy which has spread and dissipated and condensed and formed into things called our burning sun and the planets in our solar system, the comets and meteors that come and go, solar winds, light, which is one of the primary elements. Maybe the first material thing was light. When that energy slowed down enough to be what we know as visible with its own consciousness, that'll be an episode for another day, but that's the way I picture it. Light being conscious, because without light we wouldn't be able to see all this. We wouldn't be able to know that we're being seen. The universe wouldn't know itself, wouldn't experience itself on a physical level. And that's what light allows, is for us to know that this is all happening on a physical level. And so here we are on the planet we call Earth in a very stable solar system, stable for so long that this one planet has begun to have an atmosphere, a stable atmosphere. And for whatever reason, and it's probably happening elsewhere in the universe, it's just we don't know it and it doesn't matter to us. What matters to us is where we are. There's an atmosphere, and that atmosphere contains a certain mix of elements of air and water. And what is needed to trap the energy of our sun within that atmosphere. And that continuing cycle of trapped energy, something has to be done with it. It's either absorbed or reflected or released, but with the atmosphere it can't be released, so it remains. And at some point, this leads to what we call life on Earth. Energy combining with itself trapped within our atmosphere. And then more energy and more, more elements combining, more atoms, more molecules, forming very basic little life forms of energy, packets of energy. Probably so minuscule and small and transparent that it's barely even visible as a material object to the to the eye, but that doesn't matter. The universe doesn't care. The life form itself doesn't care. 
This is just the energy that is incoming on a continuing basis from our sun remaining alive within our atmosphere. That is life. And then as we look at this earth, it is one earth. Again, oneness. The oneness of a complete system within another complete system, the solar system, within another complete system, the galaxy, within another complete system, the universe. So oneness just keeps microcosming itself, if that's a word. And if not, I think it is now. So we've got this vibrant and now alive, in a more real sense perhaps, than other planets and suns and whatnot that we know of. We've got this one alive Earth, and life has arisen in that way that I just described. And yet that life is still just a reflection of where it came from. It is energy. And then each life form is one, one unit unto itself, and it knows itself. In rudimentary form, life forms are complete. They have what they need. They intake energy, and then they dissipate what is not needed. As heat, as light, as whatever is needed. Go a step further. Life forms become more complicated. There's now plants on the planet. Again, taking in the light of the sun, having figured out a way unto itself. And again, this is a question for the ages that I don't have the answer to. You know, how DNA came about and turned itself into all the cells with the programming needed to resolve taking a photon of light and trapping that energy and converting it to some other form of energy and storing it even. Fascinating. Again, we don't need to know the details or how it happens. The fact is it does and it works. And the plant takes advantage of it. It is now alive over a duration of time by having learned innately through the intelligence of the universe. No one, no one created a blueprint other than DNA. And again, a topic for another day, uh, something we don't necessarily need to know. Maybe there's no answer for it. It doesn't matter. But if we look at the life form, it matters to itself. And if we look at the plants that were on the planet and that still are, they are an entity unto themselves. They are one. You can look and say, there's one tree. There's one rose bush. There's one plankton. There's one algae. Sorry, I don't know if plankton's a plant. That might be silly. But you get the point. And yet, none of this, none of these life forms would be possible without the environment around them. So they are one. But the oneness, the true oneness, is an innate connection to the environment around. And the environment around us is only possible because of an innate connection to the solar system around us. A balance, a harmony, a dance with the sun, the moon, the other planets, not getting hit by meteorites on a constant and consistent basis. Therefore, being able to remain stable and allow this process of life forming from energy on a continual basis. But we still have one. One universe, one galaxy, one solar system, one planet, one life form, one plant. Let's go a little further and let's have a look at animal life. However that began, we believe aquatic life because we're mostly a, a water planet when it comes right down to it. So of course it makes sense that since water itself is a magical substance, practically innately alive itself in a in a way that life would have started there since every life form we know of needs water is made of a high percent of water to be alive okay so we imagine that that happened the cells combined in such a way that it became more complex complex meaning there's components in order for that life form to know where it is instead of being a single cell that has no choice but to feel the environment around it through a membrane all of a sudden now there's more cells, there's more surface area, there's more membrane. And in order to manage that membrane, there needs to be more internal components. In order to stay alive, instead of assimilating the energy directly, as plants do, it becomes a second-hand process. Certain things consume other things which have trapped energy. 
in general, animals, um, insects consume plants, consume something else which is a material object which contains some energy. Now this is innate. None of these things, none of us on this planet before humans had to know this. It was just instinct. And instinct means a natural draw back to the source, back to keeping itself alive, healthy, vibrant, each unto itself, but the caveat always being within an environment. If the environment changes, very often the life form has a challenge, either adapt or perish. Often it does perish. It has happened multiple times on this planet and it's probably due to happen again pretty soon. But here we have on this planet, prior to us, all these life forms coming and going. You know, there's been, what, four mass extinctions in the past? Various circumstances, perhaps, you know, a meteor and then climatic change. Perhaps climatic change and freeze-thaw cycles. Shift of the polar axis. There's various things that have happened that we, we know quite quite well about, amazingly, due to our... our capacity through the self-conscious mind to look into the past and use reductionist thinking to understand it. You know, absolutely bloody fascinating, but before us, everything just kept existing unto itself, each life form having adapted into its environment. And that's the only way things have adapted, is as the environment changes and what the needs are in order to attain energy within that environment in various ways. And there's so many life forms because there's so many environments. All you have to do is move two feet, literally, and you're you're in a different environment in the world. And so we have thousands of unique life forms on this planet. Sorry, millions, maybe, if you take everything into consideration. Viruses, bacteria, insects, fishes in the sea, all the things on land. Millions of life forms. Each one being one one species unto itself, usually living in one environment. It's usually a limited environment over the scope of the Earth because of adaptation and limitations. And that's fine. All these life forms living as one ecology on the planet. In essence, when you zoom back and look, all along, no matter what was happening, it was still one planet. It was one what you might call dead planet, then it was one alive planet, now it's one teemingly alive planet, now it's one very diverse life form planet. And from that evolved humans, as I've described in previous episodes, so I won't go into that too deeply. And what would have happened to evolve humans was, if we take it, and I'm going to take this line of thinking that we adapted in an evolutionary manner from from our closest known relative, primates. I believe that makes some sense, and if not, it's still a good logical story to go along with. At some point, being a primate in a primate atmosphere, we would have needed a reason to survive beyond our physical capabilities. And what I mean by that is, at some point in, in the human history, and of this I am very convinced, Something happened that changed our environment quickly that we had to adapt to. So fast that it couldn't be a physical adaptation. It couldn't be an increase in strength of height, growing more hair, less hair, you know? It couldn't have been those things. And in a, in a, not a panic, but in a, an attempt to survive, we would have done something we hadn't done before. We would have used an object in the environment in some unique way and then known we did it and then remembered it. And I'll give you a little example of something, how something like this can just happen by accident. Say you're a primate, and you're, you're escaping something in your environment, you know, you're, you're running from a threat, you're running through the forest, and you, you're, you know, swinging through the trees, and one of the tree branches breaks off, and you hold it in your hand as you come to the ground, and the predator's still coming after you, and you turn around, and you swing at the predator with this stick. Now all of a sudden, for the first time, a primate uses an object in order to defend itself, because it was going to defend itself anyway, because the primary motive of any life form under threat is, you know, fl fight or flight. 
Flight being the first one usually until you have no option to fight. Fight's usually the last option. But imagine this in this circumstance. Just picture this. You know, a primate turns around, has a stick in its hand, and starts using that against the predator, and then it, it, it works. The predator either goes away or it kills the predator. Imagine that. And then this primate looks at this stick and goes, and, and, and something in the mind connects two dots. Huh, that's a tree branch I usually swing off. Now it's in my hand, and I was able to defend myself without even putting myself in harm's way. I didn't have to get hurt because I put something between me and the predator. Ding, ding. I believe this to be one of many ways that our mind started to be engaged because we had to. We had to use something in our, our environment for something other than what it is naturally used for. And I don't just mean gathering twigs to build a nest, running into a cave to find shelter. I mean t actually looking at something and picturing being able to connect the dots by knowing what that thing is, by also knowing what its components might be capable of and using it in a different way. Whether it was a happy accident or not, it stuck. Our mind had new information that it could store and use and correlate. And that would have been the beginning of thinking. Our self-conscious mind storing information that it could use unto itself in order to come up with a choice, a new thought, a new decision. But all at the same time, it was the beginning of the process of us being able to differentiate ourselves from our environment as a natural thing that we are part of to being something that we are separate from. The self-conscious mind does that innately. It separates us from our environment in a very real and tangible way. And we're not the only species that experiences that. All complex life forms know that they are separate in a very fundamental way. The key difference with humans is we have an ego. And in the moment that we started using things in the environment as things, and our mind was able to compartmentalize and store them that way, it did the same thing with us. I'm me, that person over there. And then because we are allowed to look after ourselves first in a primal consciousness way, you know, it's hardwired into us to, you know, get into fight or flight mode when we're threatened. And every life form on the planet is allowed to do that, human and otherwise. But our ego took it upon itself to file us away as, you know, priority number one, as well as the instinctual right that we have to defend ourselves and live free as our own priority number one without thinking about it and in that moment we started to lose our individual oneness why because we became two our primary consciousness our senses all doing their job allowed us to be and just be and respond to the environment around us in an instinctual way to continue surviving to thrive, to enjoy, to play, to procreate, to love. Connection being love, especially and only, or at least to the highest degree, unconditional love. But with this new mind, which was able to look at the environment and think about it, and then look at ourselves and interject ourselves as a piece of the thinking puzzle, we would know disconnect and here's Steve illuminating the disconnect and that's why it's why it's called that this is why I talk about it this is the complete angle of explaining how we've lost our oneness because one was split into two the day the ego was born and the way that happened was again further to our primal oneness that we don't have to think about that will fight to survive and fight look for food and enjoy itself look for a mate we also could use ourselves as an idea and an identity of ourselves in relation to the resources we need to survive, the other life humans we want to be around, the environment we want to live in. And wow, have we ever taken this a long way? Because along with that identity, that ego, came entitlement. And with this entitlement came the ability for humans to be the only species on the planet to move practically anywhere around the planet because we could manipulate nature itself 
We could put heating where there was none and where it was needed. We could cool areas that were needed. We could travel to areas we otherwise couldn't to. We can't swim across the ocean, but we can build a boat or push a log in the water and cling to it and hope for the best. And that separation, that ego, and that's a very primal ego that I'm talking about, which is innate to the species. It has to be because we all know that we can think about ourselves as ourselves. I'm me, you're you. Again, on a primal consciousness level, that is known, but it's not made more than it should be in any given moment. With our self-conscious mind, we can hold ourselves in our mind as an identity and then compare ourselves to others, compare our value to others, compare what we want or need. That stick that that primate used to defend itself all of a sudden became my stick to that primate. Maybe it carried it with it. And then if another one tried to take it, it would have defended having the stick. Something previously to that it had not given a second thought to because there was no second thought possible. And yet, all of a sudden, this is my stick. And I'm going to defend you from getting my stick with my stick. Do you see? And that's all of a sudden, we're not one anymore. Individually, and even the tribe has a chance of being disconnected. And there's a challenge. There's fighting that's not necessary within the tribe, within the community. Because maybe there's more than enough food to go around. Maybe the predator has gone away. But again, as the new life form, the new proto-human, with the ability to hold an idea in the mind, that stick is there at the ready just in case. And by holding that idea, we lose our some sense of our attachment to our instinct of being able to respond right away, to be open to experience the moment at any given moment because we're thinking about the damn stick so from there humans have come a long way because the thinking that went into that process those rudimentary learnings of turning nature into ideas labeling things naming things coming up with language which is a self-conscious mind proposition and an egotistical one on a base level we have come to have reduced nature to so many small components and then rebuilt it into things like cities and cars and tables and different plants as agriculture, certain foods that we consume, products in boxes. And you know, I'm going to say, because I always do, this is infinitely fascinating that humans can do what we do. But does that mean it's helping and it's right and it's good? Well, I won't explain the numerous ways in which we use this self-conscious mind and ego yet, because I'm getting to that, that disconnects us from the oneness. And any time we're disconnected from the oneness, that's when collateral damage happens. Not just within our species, but between us and the very environment that supports us. Because here we are, one species, one very, we're all extremely, extremely similar. If we closed our eyes and we could just feel each other, we would not know there's a difference from one person to the next, except for the way we act, our unique character. Other than that, nothing would matter. Height, skin tone, weight, language wouldn't matter a bit. It's only because of our ego that it matters at all. And our ego only has information to act with because we have evolved such a powerful self-conscious mind and we can store so much information and we can remember it. Fastest computer in the universe or at least this planet. And yet we've lost that oneness. After all, what have most religions and philosophies been about? How to feel good about oneself by knowing the self. Know thyself. To thine own self be true. Oneness. You hear it talked about all the time. I've read about it for 30, 40 years in that overtly spiritual way, which is fine, everything is one. There is one universe, one planet, one species of humans. 
but that doesn't mean there isn't also a differentiation. You are over there. I am here. My food is outside in the garden where I have to go get it, or these days down at the grocery store, where after I go do some work, I can pay for the food. All of this thanks to self-conscious mind and definitely the ego, which has grown in importance. It's made itself subconscious over all these millennia to the point where humans are have, have a self-importance, an entitlement to being on this planet to the point where we talk about this planet as if it's ours. You know, people often say, oh, the world has the world that, the world this. And as I said in the previous episode, uh, yeah, sure, but we don't even know everything about the world. Not that we could or should. But most often when people say the world, they should be saying human society. Because the world isn't ours. We're lucky to be here. We're lucky there's that we're doing as well as we are in some capacities. And I know I'll get a lot of pushback with people saying, oh, but we're, in the, we're at the height of human everything right now because of religion, science, intelligence, you know, the human brain, the most amazing thing ever. Yeah, on one level, the most amazing thing ever. On another level, disconnecting us from ourselves and a feeling of being more than any other species on the planet, bar none. I don't think there's an argument against that. If anyone wants to bring it on, let's do it doesn't make us necessarily bad or evil or life wrong of course not but let's call a spade a spade we are what we are and this is the whole point of this podcast is to explain this so that you can see this whole thing from that perspective to know yourself and to know your part in the systems the structures the things that are happening in the world which i will comment on eventually but i want more to set up this framework of understanding you'll figure it out for yourself we're all very intelligent beings here. Without our ego, we all can understand life. We can understand all of this. We can understand ourselves. We can understand how we fit in. And we can understand how we've gotten here, which is what I've deconstructed since 2014 in a very simple and effective manner by knowing what a human being is and what human systems are and what a human being is without or with less ego involvement and what we've been doing with massive amounts of ego involvement to the point where there's you know seven something billion of us on the planet and we believe that's successful because humans are the best species here we're doing great there's so many of us as if all this progress has always been innately positive now i'm not going to judge it positive or negative again i'm just going to say this is how it is because it is how it is not your fault not my fault understanding it is more important than being clever, being right or wrong about it. But let's take it to today and the state of human society in the world. And in that respect, I will say the state of the world, including humans. We've got wars happening. We just had this thing called a pandemic, which I'm not sure was actually a pandemic because of the human ego and overreaction, which is exactly what the human ego does, makes everything about itself and what it can do, creating problems so it can solve them. And we've got the human mind continuing through technology, through being able to communicate with anyone, anywhere, anywhere on the planet, almost instantaneously, being able to send one message and having millions of people see it. Like this is unprecedented. And the leaders of industry and of countries and of systems in this world, they know that on the level of mind, they know that's how the world works. And I'm going to explain to you right now something that has been talked about during the last two years by certain groups of people that might be called conspiracy theorists, but that actually they don't know the depth of what they're talking about, I would say, because it's hard to know even when you're in it. But let me just give you a couple pointers to what the potential of continuing down this path of mind and ego are for the species. Because there's this thing being talked about called the New World Order, and there's Agenda 2030 that leaders are talking about, and it's under the guise of, oh, this is the best thing ever. We are going to connect everyone on the planet through a digital system, and governments will know everything. They'll have all your information. They'll know where you are, so everyone will be safe. Everyone will be accountable, as if that's a good thing. You know, I'm 
pretty healthy and safe and accountable right where I am without anybody knowing it. And a lot of humans are like that. Because most humans don't reside very heavily in ego. There's a subconscious ego quite innate to everybody, but it's it's absolutely mild and tempered with most people. And when a situation comes up where there's a choice, most people actually choose to help, to be kind, to support, to sacrifice in order to help another. They really do. The human mind, on the other hand, and the ego, if it's been nurtured through you know, time and generations even, which it has with a lot of the leaders in this world of the systems and structures of industry, of food, of governance, it's been there for so long that that entitlement is extremely powerful and strong. And it's almost completely mind-based. And here's the reason why. Our mind just inventories things. It turns everything into information, including you. And the easiest way to keep track of information is for it to be homogenous, to be conforming, for there not to be anything differentiating, no outliers. Do you see? I'm going to do a quick analogy back to the human body. If, you're, if your body is feeling okay, then you don't think anything of it. You just keep going with it. Now, if you get cut, all of a sudden your body goes into response mode and fixes that cut because that could be a threat that could lead to death of the whole organism. And your body knows that. It wants to remain its oneness in its wholeness in a physical and energetic way. So that was a challenge to the system. Something that had to have its attention there. Now let's look at the systems and structures of the world. You know, you have government, you have citizens, you have corporations, you have consumers. To the mind, because it's just dealing with information, which is what money is to the mind. It's information in order to track value. Value which is prescribed by ego, which differentiates from one denomination of currency to another and from one product to another. You know, it's not a consistent thing. And I'll explain money in another episode. But if everything is the same, it's easy to keep track of. And this is the plan for the mind. And I'm going to tell you why. The human mind, which innately has ego, an ego component to it. So I won't just, I won't keep saying the ego. The human mind is continuing, continuing to, through technology and through information gathering, to understand nature in a disconnected way and compartmentalizing it into resources, into basically a, a formula, a spreadsheet, so that it can keep track of it. Because to the mind, there's nothing more powerful than thinking it knows. Like everything's under control because I know where everybody is. I know what everybody's doing. I know there's just enough food and resources for everybody. But if there's a few sacrifices along the way to the mind, it's like, nah, whatever. It's just a number. Some people over here had to die in order to help me get more profit. Ah, that's okay. I, that's okay. It's just a number. Because once again, our mind in, is not a feeling thing. There's a place in our brain where the connection to emotions is held so that it's very quickly accessed. But our brain itself is not a feeling thing. When you look at someone and you are attracted to them, when you look at someone and you think it's they're just awesome, you don't get this explosion of feeling in your brain. You get it in your being. You get it centered in your heart because we are feeling sensory beings on a huge level prior to our mind having to engage and make an idea out of something. Our mind doesn't know feeling except as information and how it can affect us and make us feel this way or that way, and in that way, we are manipulatable through our feelings, through our actual feelings. And this is how egregious the ego is. It doesn't even know who we are, because it can't. It can't know who you are. I'm going to say that so often over the coming years, because this is so important to know. Only you can know the entirety of you. And if you step back and think about it and feel who you are, you will realize very matter-of-factly you can't be thinking because when you're not thinking, you're still there. When you're sleeping, you're still there. Your body's working. It's repairing. It's relaxing. It's rejuvenating. If you've had moments 
in meditation or just in life doing something where you didn't have time to think, you know, you had to react in order to, you know, hit the ball back in a tennis game. You didn't have time to think. I bet you felt freaking good because that's you in your integrated oneness, even integrating the mind passively in this case. But if you do something aligned with mind, it's the same thing. If you're completely in love with what you're doing and your thinking is just facilitating it, there's oneness. And that is the unity feeling, the feeling of being, being in connective consciousness, Christ consciousness, if you will. Our ego doesn't know that, and in a way it's kind of jealous. Because it has the capacity to not understand what a feeling being is. And so, again, through war, through all of these things, all the food we produce that's not good for us, that leads to ill health and disease and death, premature death, terrible death and anguish, the mind doesn't care. You're literally a statistic on a page to the ego and even to your own ego. And I know this firsthand because I was almost a statistic to my own mind in 2014. Go back and check out two episodes I talk about. I believe the initial one and the one entitled How to Kill Yourself Without Dying. And that will tell you all you need to know about how important you are to your ego, which should mean uh, how important should your ego be to you. If it has the capacity to disconnect yourself from your feeling being and discard you, the ego doesn't even know when you kill yourself. It goes along with it. That's how disconnected it is. And yet we live in a stable universe. We're in a stable universe, in a stable galaxy, in a stable solar system, on a stable planet, within a stable species that has evolved for hundreds of thousands of years to this point where everything that consciousness is in the universe has gone into us, through us, and we are projecting that back out through this mind and remaining in a more disconnected state because we're engaged in mind on an ongoing basis. And with the ego driving the bus of the leaders of this world, we're continuing down a path where some are becoming convinced that we're going to be able to someday live forever, download our consciousness into technology. And uh, I'm here to say that, yeah, that is never going to happen. <laughs> I'll do an episode specifically about that, but uh, the idea is ludicrous um, on so many levels. Firstly, because life is energy and uh, not mind energy alone, which is subordinate to the rest of our being. But there you go. But if you look at the plans of this thing called the New World Order, people in charge of the World Economic Forum, look at the titles of these things. New World Order. There already is a world order. It's called consciousness. It's been working forever. Yes, we are an interesting species that has developed within it, and more than a solution to anything, including our own problems, we are a problem. <laughs> We're disrupting the very environment that supports us and other species that also can support us. So, you know, we're one of the only species literally shitting in its own bed on a constant and continual basis, even though we think we've got this whole thing figured out and that science is leading to longevity and increased, you know, standards for humans. Well, it all depends what you call a standard. For me, it's feeling good, feeling healthy. And on many levels, we're doing great. On many other levels, we're not doing great. So if we step back and look at what we are, we can learn from it and assimilate the best of what we were before this ego developed to what we could be by knowing that and not allowing our species to continue to grow down the path of becoming automatons which is you know just ensconced in mind all the time with a rudimentary amount of feeling feeling will always be there because it has to be life is feeling that's just the, the base, the standard, the foundation. But again, if you look at what's going on and do some investigation, read into this thing called Agenda 2030, read into the World Economic Forum, read into the New World Order. It is completely all about conditioning humans into believing that they are just things. That their individual life experience doesn't matter when actually that's all that matters. 
And we should be doing that together, supporting one another and having it and experiencing it and holding each other accountable to not harming each other en route to doing that. It, it could be that basic and that simple. The only thing in the way is the ego. And the ego is, again, driving the bus of these leaders who are talking about these new world orders because they don't understand. The ego has become so subconscious in our species that it is the leaders are talking to a lower version, milder version of itself in you, which is listening because on one level it's working. It seems to be working. Wow, look at the world. We've made cities. We've made agriculture. We've made transportation. We can do this, that. We can ship things around. We can create jobs and money and these systems that work. But at a foundational level, none of it's actually necessary. It's interesting that we've done it, but none of it is actually necessary. Ponder that. Ponder it. It's a highly contentious thing, but what part of you is going to contend it? You or your ego? The subconscious ego that doesn't know any different. I'm going to challenge the heck out of that. And that's what I'm here to do. Because I don't want to see a species, even though I probably will before I'm gone, go further downhill. And the irony is, is that this, our ego, what it's actually trying to do by thinking that it creates life, it creates everything, it creates the, the environment and all the things we need, what it's doing is actually emulating what consciousness has been doing all along. Only ego is doing what ego does. It wants the credit. It wants to think it's clever and intelligent. It is intelligent. It's just less intelligent. Our minds are less intelligent than our being. Our being has innate intelligence, and that intelligence is imbued in everything, which is what made this all possible. The oneness that we all talk about, that we all probably want to feel, and that I'm here to reassure you that you can feel right now, even if the system is broken, even if the species is going somewhere that's going to make it challenging, because it is going to happen. Sadly, I've also got a bit of the gift of being able to understand the tangent that we're going down and where it could lead for a while. And it won't feel good on some levels, but I'm going to tell you one damn thing. No one's taking my feeling of freedom from me because I, I fought tooth and nail. I fought to almost to my own personal death to get it internally. And now I share it as much as I can wherever I go. And honestly, everywhere I go, it's there with me. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to talk about it. I don't have to brag about it. doesn't matter. I don't care if anybody knows me, my name, who I am, what I talk about, this podcast, any books I might publish. I don't care. I don't care. If it helps, utterly fantastic. But that's the opposite end of the spectrum of people like the heads of World and Economic Forums, New World Orders, who say they care about the future of humanity being happier and healthier and safer, but all the while along, they're mostly gathering for themselves a feeling of power, a feeling of control, a feeling of being right, of being smart. Only they have to keep working at it because it's never enough. When you're chasing a feeling of being through your thinking, you're never done. Never. And that's a scary thought. But you know what a good thought is? If you know who you are beyond this ego, you're good. You're good to go all the time. I guarantee that. So, I'm going to end this there. After all, if you get me swearing, you got to know I'm talking about something I believe in. Further to that, something I know. And I want you to know it too. I hope this helped. I hope this helped. It's going to be the beginning of talking a lot more about the state of human society in the world and what we've done, what we're doing to ourselves collectively and how we individually allow that simply through not knowing ourselves and taking utterly complete responsibility for our feeling of being our health our our actions the work we put out into the world the things we consume from the world so bless you all thanks for being here and listening and uh please share this this is one that i know is going to be very deeply resonant with a lot of people right now and needs to be with a lot more people who don't understand 
who are complacent and apathetically going along with what's going along because they don't know any different and they've got no compulsion to change it because it seems to be working for them. And I have to be sympathetic to that because, yeah, you can't know what you don't know. But confronting someone and having the ego respond is going to be one of the biggest challenges because the ego doesn't want to hear truth. The ego doesn't want to hear you doing fine without it because it doesn't know who you are. So contemplate that and ways to communicate compassionately, decisively, effectively, and be an example. It's the only way things ever change from the inside out, one healthy component at a time. For now, find yourself, find your tribe, find your family, be good to your nature and the world around you. Hello, fellow humans, and thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. Um, ever since I got this thing started, which was years in the making, I've been excited about uh, doing this and only this. It's what gives me the most pleasure in life is helping others help themselves. And it's actually what I know the best, despite all the other things I've studied for and uh, have had as careers, as experiences, as hobbies, as connections with life. This is it. So to that end, if you'd like to experience if you'd like to support a very simple human doing this, it doesn't take much for me to survive. And anything over and above that that I ever make from this will always go back into helping others directly. And you can support me by finding me on Red Circle Podcasts, which may be where you're listening. Uh, there's a donating information there. I also have an account with something called Libra Pay, where you can find me as Steve Alat. Or you can send uh, a donation through PayPal, steve at illuminatingthedisconnect.com. If any of those aren't sufficient or fail, send me an email. Again, steve at illuminatingthedisconnect.com. We can figure something out. And uh, thanks for listening. I really, really hope it helps. And if it does, do send me a message. Thanks for your support.